Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning. Once again, this is Harry Cameron with Down to Earth. For those of you who are just joining us, we are broadcasting and we're live this morning and we're talking about the issues that matter. This is Down to Earth. You can find us on the web at www.harrietcameron.com. You can also find us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever your favorite podcast platform is. It's kind of a precipitous moment in our history here in America. We're watching protests for the death of George Floyd, a black man who was killed and lynched publicly by a Minnesota police department in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And the ongoing investigation seemed to be in favor of the police officers who yet have been charged with first-degree murder. The former prosecutor charged them with third-degree murder, which, as you know, hardly anybody ever gets any kind of time or any kind of jail time with third-degree murder. In fact, most of us didn't know third-degree murder existed. Uh, but yet, uh, the governor has moved ahead and has appointed the Attorney General of Minnesota to be the special prosecutor in charge of the George Floyd investigation. But that has not abated the protests across the country as Black Americans believe that they have been the victims of police violence. Every one of us knows someone who can discuss an interaction, a negative interaction and a negative encounter with the police. And for some reason, the police themselves, they've been coming forward. In some cases, we see where they have marched with protesters in Flint, Michigan, in Troy, Michigan, and in other places in the country, in Iowa, and so on. We see where they're coming forward to say, this is not representative of what they do. This is not representative of who they are and how they police. But at the same time, this is an endemic, systemic, oppressive system. What you're seeing now are people revolting against the idea that they have no control over their outcome. And, and so it goes on. And in the midst of this, we hear of another black man in Louisville, Kentucky, who was killed by police on Monday, June 1st. Is this a Monday thing? Monday, May 24th was George Floyd, Monday, June 1st. Here comes David McAtee. The same Louisville Police Department who shot up Breonna Taylor while she was asleep in her own bed. She was not on the street. She wasn't walking the street. She was in her own bed. The same police department. And this time, they deactivated their body cams when they shot up David McAtee. The mayor of Louisville has fired the police chief who, after Breonna Taylor had said he would retire, well, the mayor took a preemptive strike and fired him before. So does that help? Does that abate it? No. When the public becomes aware that another black man was shot dead by police on June 1st, that is just going to escalate the marches and so on. Now, the marches are kind of dynamic because the marches initially are about police brutality and police killings, but we now find that there are white nationalists and white supremacists who have infiltrated these marches in an effort to create 
as the breakdown of law and order. It's one thing for people to get together and go march peacefully and say this is what we're protesting. The police naturally have to be out there to maintain law and order. But then you have white nationalists who take it upon themselves to decide that they are going to make sure that there is a breakdown of law and order. On top of that, just last night in D.C., the president ordered the military on Americans in D.C. who are protesting and had people spray painted and tear gas. It was not a Black Hawk helicopter. That's not how Black Hawk helicopters look. That looked like it was a Medivac helicopter that was flying overhead, perhaps a news camera or two or so on. But that was not because the military are prohibited from flying on American soil unless the the president invokes the Insurrection Act. And for him to do that, he's going to have some problems getting that through Congress. It's not going to fly because it's an election year. Most politicians are not going to agree with that. They did that with Rodney King back in 1992, and it didn't work out well for anybody, okay? Didn't work out well, so nobody's ready to go do that, right? But this is where we are. Now, what we want is a unifying voice. What we want is a president who is going to come and say, look, we have this history. We have this story going on that is age-old that we need to stop. I'm going to do some things to make sure that, you know, that this doesn't happen again and mitigate and minimize these instances. Instead, he's threatening and calling people thugs. That language is incendiary. And I'm afraid I can't, I can't support that kind of language. I can't support tear, uh, uh, calling the military on Americans on their own soil. I can't, I can't support that. There's something wrong with that. You see what I'm saying? And so it brings us to this point where our republic is in revolt. It's civil, but our republic, it doesn't look like the civil war of, of, of the 1860s, but our republic is revolting against the idea that one race continues to dominate and hold superior, and that philosophy has infiltrated to the police where the police continue to pull over black people and to kill black people without any cause to kill black people without any reaction and the society just kind of stands back and, uh, and allows it to happen, right? So we're at this point where we're praying and hoping for peace, but I don't know what that's gonna look like. And in the midst of all of this, we're still in the midst of a pandemic, I think, because here in Michigan yesterday, the governor lifted the stay at home order. I mean, look at this, y'all. For months, they've been telling us that there's a real virus out there. All of a sudden, people start marching in a protest, and all of a sudden, the stay-at-home order is lifted. It's now safe to move around the state. It's now safe to go out and breathe. <laughs> Something is very wrong, don't you think? It's making me wonder. I, I, I wondered at that because I was fearful for people who were protesting because I felt like I don't know where the coronavirus come from, comes from. I don't know its origin or where it comes from. So I'm like, I don't know if anybody is spraying the air. But all of a sudden, we're suddenly not at risk for the coronavirus. You're free to move around the country, to move around the state. There's something wrong with that. There's something, I don't know about anybody else, but I I am like, what's going on? What's the story here, right? Why is it that it's suddenly no okay to move around the state? And just a few weeks ago, they were cautioning us not to wear a mask when you go out and now people are out there protesting and suddenly it's okay. Something is very wrong with that picture, right? I don't know about any other uh, state in the country, but here in Michigan, that's what's happening. And I suspect that's what's happening all over the country. And people are willing to put their lives on the line for something they believe in. 
And I believe that this is what we need to pay attention to, that whilst people are aware that there is a real virus out there, whilst people are aware that they are marching right in front of police with guns drawn, they're still willing to lay their lives down because they want systemic change. And that's the change that is really effective. We need meaningful change in a way that is going to support legislation that minimizes and mitigates police killings on unarmed people. It's got to stop. Meanwhile, people are watching in Chicago as a man with a gun with an AR-15 just marches a white man. But black people, if they dare show up with a gun, the guns are turned on them and they're killed. The militarization of the police and the fact that the police believe that they are white supremacists and they can enforce a system, that is the system and ideology that has to stop. Here in Detroit, we have a good working relationship with the Detroit Police Department. I hope it does not deteriorate. Last night, there were peaceful protests. Thank you very much. Everybody calm down. And the people who were coming from out of state and out of town to make the protest bad realized that they got the message that don't come to Detroit and bring this foolishness. We have a healthy working relationship with the police. We want to keep it that way for our own sake and for law and order, for the preservation of life. We must continue to look at people as human beings and that life is important. It's not enough for me to want a photo op and endanger the lives of others and tear gas people as if nobody else's life matters except my own. That is an irresponsible look and an irresponsible statement. So while we're in the midst of this pandemic, there are still matters that need our attention, one of which is intimate partner violence. Black women are being killed at the hands of intimate partners. Even whilst we're in a pandemic, violence against women has not stopped. Just yesterday, I posted a picture that I came across on ABC, where, thanks to ABC News, that a young black woman knelt in front of police with guns drawn at her. I wonder if a young white woman had knelt in front of the police, would they have pulled a gun and had their guns trained on her? A young black woman in San Jose, California, there she is with guns drawn. It is enough that we face enough violence societally and publicly. It should, we shouldn't have to face violence in our homes. So the story of this young woman, Shauna Donahue, who uh, went, lived in North Carolina, went to college, lived, now lived in D.C., and was, she was a teacher. Isn't that something? She taught nutrition. Uh, and uh, her boyfriend, they had been childhood sweethearts. They went to high school together, and she went on to college. He did not. Apparently, they had a tumultuous relationship, but the relationship consisted of abuse, as is typical in these situations. Uh, she broke up with him. The father thought they had broken up two years ago. But for some reason in the last, the month before she died, he moved back in with her. Now, typically in abuse situations, how this works is that the person who is abused, abusive naturally has uh, control over the person who is being abused. They will intimidate. They will come back and say, I won't do it again. I will never do it again. I'm never going to be that bad. Something just came over me and I don't know what happened and please forgive me. And you give him a second chance because inherently you believe in the good of someone. So you give him a second chance for him to ameliorate himself and you let him back in. And he got back in and the people say, the people in the apartment complex say there was a fight the night before. 
When she didn't show up for work, the neighbors went to check on her and found her body curled up in a fetal position in her living room. She had been stabbed multiple times. They called the police. The police showed up. Guess who walks back into the, into the apartment? The boyfriend with blood on his clothes. The police found scissors and a knife in there. And according to him, she was fighting him. Now, she's gone. She's dead. So she can't defend herself. But you really think the police are going to believe that she was fighting him? No, they're not going to believe that. They know the story already. He claimed, but here's the thing that got to me. He said, I came alive after I killed her. You know, he's trying to say he's crazy, he's out of his mind, and so he doesn't get life sentence. He gets a stay in a, in a, in a, in a cushy uh, mental health facility instead of serving hard time in jail for murdering someone who was 26 years old. Now, this hits home for me because I survived a similar situation. My book, Through the Fire, is available on Amazon.com. Here it is. And in this book, this was a very difficult story for me to tell. But this is my story. I, too, could have been dead. I was, he held a knife. My ex-husband held a knife to my side and told me he would kill me. By the grace of God, I survived. So if you all wonder why I talk about God and why I worship God, not the God that the president was trying to say last night, not that God. I don't know what he was trying to say last night with holding up a Bible. The, the Christianity that we follow, the faith that we follow, talks about sacrificial love, love your fellow man, love one another. That's not what, by the grace of God, I made it out of that abusive situation that took place in November 2 of 1999, when my ex-husband, my then husband, held a knife to my wrist and threatened to kill me. This is intimate partner violence. It's intimate because it's someone you know and love, someone you're familiar with. Someone who knows your comings and goings, someone your family knows, someone who sometimes the community does not believe. They're incredulous that he could have done something like that because sometimes the abuser is typically very charming. Sometimes he presents a facade that all is well. But the persons who are involved, the family members, the police, and the social workers who have visited the home know that that is not true. And this is continuing. We're robbing our community of people who are contributors to the fabric and tapestry of our lives. Uh, it, it was just this morning I woke up and I was thinking about that incident in November 2 of 1999. And I was thinking to myself, what would have happened had I been killed then? What would have happened? My life would have been gone like a vapor. You would have never heard of me. The community and the society would never have had my contribution to the, to the tapestry and fabric of our lives. And more importantly, my family members and my children would not have had me. This is what happens when someone is killed by intimate partner violence. Like I say all the time, by the grace of God, I survive. And I'm talking about this because it's important for someone to put this within the context of life worth living, that someone's life is valuable and is worth living, and that we must preserve life. If you know that or you know someone who you know has a problem with violence and you know that they attack their loved ones, that they attack their, their family members, they attack their girlfriends, their ex-girlfriends, their wives, their partners, speak up. Let them know that you are here to help. 
I can't begin to tell you how alienated and isolated I felt. I had no support system because naturally part of the abuse is to be without support. I had no support system and I had no one to to run to. I couldn't go anywhere. If, if there was one person who stood up for me and her husband eventually had to tell her to let it be because my ex-husband went to her house and threatened her that he would kill her if she so much as opened her door to me the next time I ran. Such is the face of intimate partner violence. And people put it down to, well, you must have been poor for that to happen. No, we lived in an upper middle class neighborhood. Did I have access to money? Hell no. If I tried to use the money, he threatened to kill me, so I was terrified. So it's not like, well, why don't you go get on a bus and go visit your nearest relatives or so on? It doesn't work like that because the law prevails, especially when there are children involved. The law that you have to go to court. You have to uh, walk through the system to be separated legally. You have to extricate yourself to the children because he still has access to the children because the children are his. He's still a parent. Do you see what I mean? So it's when people say, why don't you just leave? There are many reasons why a woman doesn't leave. Some of us uh, have economical reasons why we can't leave. For some, it's emotional. Sometimes it's just not the right time. Where are you going to leave to go to? This is why there are violence, domestic violence shelters. And while we were sheltering in place, domestic violence shelters were filling up. Because now that men couldn't go out, they couldn't go out and socialize, they couldn't go out and drink and, and so on and get their hands out, they turned their confinement and the loss of job, loss of economy on their partners, and they beat them to death. In the case of Shanna Donahue, I would not be surprised that maybe her boyfriend lost the job. And because he lost the job and lost an income, she became his battering ram and his beating stick. It seems to me in intimate partner violence that people take out their angst, whatever they're feeling, their anger, their unresolved emotional issues, the fact that they grew up in abusive situations in childhood, they take it out on their partner. And a lot of people, a lot of us blame the victim. We blame the victim because we say, well, why didn't you see that from the beginning? Well, if we had a crystal ball, <laughs> four years ago and could see how this would descend into this, maybe we would have made different choices, right? But you don't have a crystal ball at the beginning of a relationship to see how it will end. You kind of wing it and go along with it, so you're swept up in the romance of it. I am here to tell women, I, I say this all the time, I say it to everybody, when people show you who they are, believe it. And at the beginning of the relationship, if certain conditions exist, Certain factors exist, such as power and control. If you can identify that someone likes to be in control, you can never make a suggestion. Then it's time for you to leave. That is not someone, no matter how nice they are, no matter how much money they have, no matter how much they tell you they can do this for you, no matter how much they tell you they really like you and they've never met anyone like you, the exit. If you meet someone and they can't talk about their previous relationship, there is something that they're hiding. If they can't say, well, we broke up because I cheated, or we broke up because we didn't have enough money, or we broke up because we grew apart because we were in two different spaces. If they can't tell you why the previous relationship ended, there's usually a very good reason why. It's because it was their fault. And maybe they don't want to say it, but you need to know so that you know who you're working with. Because essentially, people rarely change. That kind of fundamental change does not happen. 
So if they were abusive before to a previous partner, chances are what? They're going to be abusive to you. If they cheated on a previous partner, chances are they're going to cheat on you because people essentially don't change because they don't want to change because they don't want to do the work. It's not that we don't have the capacity to change. It's because we don't want to do the work that is necessary to change. I know I have an issue. I go and fix myself. I go to therapy. I read as many self-help books as I can. I subject myself to the process of change and tell myself that that behavior is not healthy and it's not conducive to me having long-term, behavior, you know, long-term relationships. So I adjust myself and I put myself to the process of attrition and change. But most people don't do that. What they do is they go from relationship to relationship and take the same attitudes from one relationship to the other, then they become frustrated when people are not responding to them the way they want to. Sometimes the man that is beating his woman, he's not just beating her, he's beating Shanna and he's beating Alice and he's beating Ashley and Emma and every other woman whom he had before because he never subjected himself to the process of change. Now, you got to understand that abuse is defined as intimate partner violence, right? There are other forms of violence that take place. There are familiar, there's familial violence, for instance. So when we talk about domestic violence, we're talking about domestic in terms of who lives in your domicile with you, who else lives in your house with you. you and especially today, under shelter in place, you find that there are people, there are extended family members living together. You might have had to move in with your parents. Then you, your husband, your partner, your girlfriend move in with your parents. That is a, a, a that, that that's a kettle that's a boiling a, a real battleground there for disaster right there, right? So different people, different philosophies, different ideas on who uses the bathroom, who leaves the top up, who doesn't use, who doesn't clean. You're you're constantly cleaning, constantly cooking, constantly cleaning, constantly cooking. Don't have enough money, you can't do what you want to do. Oh, you're leaving, but you didn't turn the lights on, or you left the lights off, or whatever. So domestic violence, then, is defined as who lives in the house with you. But we're making the case for intimate partner violence, someone whom you're intimate with. We're not talking about cases of incest and cases of rape between family members. We're talking about intimate partner violence, someone who tells you they love you, but they beat you up. Somebody who tells you, I will always be here for you, but they use their fists to prove their love. Abuse is not love. Love is not violent. Love is not unkind. Love does not beat you up. And we need to hear that messaging constantly so we make better choices about the people who we, we meet. Love is not controlling. Now, ladies, I'm going to be honest with you. Every man has, is a man. So he's going to speak in an authoritative voice, and he's going to sometimes insist that, no, don't do this this way. That is not control. Control is someone telling you who to talk to, when to talk, and how not to talk. Control is someone saying, who are you on the phone with? Hang up that phone. Control is someone saying, where are you right now? Control is someone calling you on your way to work, someone calling you while you're at work, someone FaceTiming you to make sure you're at work. That is control. Someone making sure that you get home from work, and when you get home, you can't go anywhere. Did you go to the grocery store? That's it. Why are you still at the grocery store? You see, when people meet people, they like to think he cares about me, so he cares about my whereabouts. Control is someone putting 
a, a tracker on your car to make sure that they, can, they have an app that they can track you. That's control. Now, when marriages and relationships are failing, people tend to follow their intimate partners because they want proof of cheating and unfaithfulness. That's a different story as opposed to someone constantly reading your text messages, constantly listening to your conversations, and telling you who to be friends with. Control is someone telling you don't talk to your friend whom you grew up with. Control is someone telling you don't be with that friend until they alienate you totally from what is familiar and what is structural, and then they're the only ones there, and they set up only their friends around you. You know what that is? That's a setup so that when you're finally ready to leave, you have no support because his friends are not going to help you because they're not going to interfere because they don't see him that way. An abusive partner tends to be the nicest person on the block. He's nice to everyone else except his intimate partner. Only the children and the people who live in that house can tell them how many times she's been pushed down the stairs, how many excuses she has for walking into our door jam, how many excuses she has for tripping over the laundry, or I hit my hip on the washing machine, like the, machine, the washing machine is a walking thing, or I hit my hip when I turn the corner in the kitchen on the, on the cupboard. Like, seriously, the island? Yeah, it's, it's stationary and you're a moving object. Or she wears makeup constantly and she cannot show her eyes. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a problem with intimate partner violence. It's not just here in America, it's worldwide. And the World Health Organization recently had to categorize that intimate partner violence is a disease and that is afflicting women and children. I know people like to insert themselves in the conversation and say, well, men are being violated. 2%, 98% of domestic violence cases are women being violated. And that is a statistic and that's a fact. It is what it is. So we have to be more supportive of one another. This is why I say when you start dating someone, you need to perhaps take them around your family members and friends who are trusted. You need to hear what they have to say. And in today's world, ladies and gentlemen, we have what is called Google. Drop someone's name in Google and see what comes out. See if there's a pending assault charge and so on. And a lot of people, they will have a defense to tell you why they have a pending assault charge or why the charges were dismissed. And be very careful when you see where the charges were dismissed because typically they intimidate the previous partner into dismissing the charges and people just, I just want to get away with, from him. I just want to get away. And they will drop the charges because he intimidates them on the threat of violence. Anybody who has to shake their fist in your face to get a point or slam their fist into the wall behind you. One of the favorite things my ex-husband used to do was the choking thing. I I, I don't know if he liked the idea or if he got off on the idea of choking me until I I was gagging and couldn't breathe, but that was one of his favorite tools. He liked to choke because maybe he thought that, you know, the next day I would wear turtlenecks or something to hide his fingerprints on my neck. I kid you not. I lived with that monster. Read this book, Through the Fire. We'll tell you all about it. It's available on Amazon.com. The reason we're talking about it is because this is happening over and over again. Shanna Donahue is now a, a hashtag for intimate partner victims. I did not want to be a victim. I still don't want to be a victim. 
<laughs> do you see what I'm saying? And so people usually say, well, what do you do now? I stay away <laughs> because I don't want to be a victim. I don't want anyone to control me to the extent where I feel as if they're going to hurt me. Now, ladies, you can be in a, in a normal after abuse. There is a relationship that you can go into and you can find peace and love within that relationship and you're happy and everything is fine. I'm happy for you because now you're assured that this person is in it for your best interest. But ladies, look out for the signs. The signs of power and control are hallmarks of an abuser, someone who wants to control you. And they're always, listen to this, they're always imposing their desire and their will over you. For instance, you go out on a date, right? He asks you, where would you like to eat? And you say, well, I like seafood. And then he's like, well, I know this takes place up here. It's over so-and-so. It's a couple blocks down. You would like it. I eat there all the time. Did he just ask you if you want where you want to eat? And you say seafood, but he's going to take you to the steak place. But you're charmed. You say, okay. And you go to the steak place. You go to the steak place and you look at the menu and he says, well, what are you going to eat? You think that he's trying to invite you into, you know, making your own choice. But then he said, I'm going to have the six inch, the one inch thick ribeye. And you're like, I don't really eat meat. So I'm just going to have like a potato and so on. And he says, no, 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 no. Just, just, just have it. It will be good. It will be good. That's someone already imposing. They're demonstrating right there in front of you that that is power and control. You don't drink. You like white wine, but he drinks red wine. He thinks red wine goes better with steak, but you don't drink red wine. You're a white wine Chardonnay person. And he tells you, no, 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 happy to taste better with steak. And you're going along with it and feeling charmed, but, you know, the alarm bells are going off in your stomach. First of all, you wanted to eat seafood. So at the end of the night, he said, did you have a good time? And you're like, yeah, I had a good time, but I really wanted seafood because I don't really eat steak. And he's like, yeah, well, next time we can do that. But you notice that when you disagree with him, his temper and his temperament changes. That's the first sign. That, that, that is the alarm bells clanging to you to get out of there. Many of you are smiling because you're like, yeah, been there and didn't know what that was. That's exactly what that was. It's telling you to get out of there because that person is a danger to you. Because in much the same way, that he's taking over your meal ordering is in the same way he's going to control your life. Then you get in the car with him and he takes risky maneuvers while driving. And you think it's hair raising because your hair is flying in the wind, but you're actually terrified because you find your feet touching the floorboards of the car. But he thinks it's fun. And he's like, you just need to let loose a little and just be loose. You notice that he doesn't respond to your cues for when you feel danger, have you noticed? That's a sign that there is power and control in that person, and they intend to dominate you and overtake your will. The next day morning, you'll get a text that says, good morning, beautiful. So you're totally charmed now. What are we doing for lunch today? He might give in to you just to make you not feel that after last night's hair raising experience, so you're suckered in. You're like, well, it's not so bad. So when you're telling your friends and family, you're like, it wasn't so bad blah, 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 until the next time. The next time it might be worse. You might be sitting at the table reading a text message and he's like, put the phone down, we're out. 
Can't you just put the phone down for a minute? Can't you just put the phone down and just be with me? And you think it's charming and you don't realize that's an alarm bell. And I know if, if the person is constantly embroiled in their phones, they might have a job that is demanding. They might be someone who constantly has to be connected. They might be an emergency room doctor. They might be a police. There might be somebody who is a military, you know, some maintenance person or somewhere. It might be a CEO who constantly checks the market, whatever. That doesn't mean that because their attention is not on you 100% of the time doesn't mean that they're not interested in you. Come on now. People have lives. And most of us are decent enough that we'll put our phone on do not disturb. Tell everybody, don't call me between the hours of so-and-so because I'm out. But if it's an emergency, they have to call you. They will use, most people are courteous enough to say, it's an emergency, I have to take this. But if, they, even if when you say it's an emergency and I have to take this, and their response is you should put it down, you need to say thank you for dinner this evening and go get into an Uber. You know what happens after that? They end up stalking you <laughs> because you got away. Because their need to dominate and to power and control you was so, it's so great that you got away, they're not satisfied. Ladies and gentlemen, look for the cues. Look for the cues of someone texting you. In the, we're busy. We're all busy. You've got to go to work. You get to work in the morning, and they're texting you throughout the morning, and you're so flattered. But you notice after a while that why does he text me like three, four times a day during the day? And the text is always like, where are you? What are you doing? I'm at work. What else could I be doing? I'm busy. What I, do, I don't have time to spend this constantly updating you on my whereabouts. If you're in a relationship, if you're married, you people have your location settings, you share location settings so they can check. But, hey, do you see what I'm saying? But most people, initially we think that it is or him demonstrating how much he cares about you. It's not. It's power. It's a setup and a breeding ground for disaster. And here's the thing. When a family friend, you know, an ex-boyfriend or some friend of yours, asks you what, who is this new man you're seeing, you're disappeared. You're constantly with him. And when you're with him, you can't talk about your friends. You ever notice when you start talking about your friends and family, he doesn't want to hear. He changes the topic, changes the conversation, turns the TV on. Because he's eliminating anything that is important to you that is going to prove to be a deterrent to him being in your life. And ladies, we see these things happening and we feel the alarm bells. In the case of Shauna Donahue, she actually told her coworkers that she was afraid of her ex-boyfriend and that he had been abusive in the past. So they were a little surprised to learn that he allowed her, that she allowed him to move back into the apartment. Because from their experiences with her, she kept, she had complained about him. And that's because women are more now aware. She was a hairstylist and a YouTube personality in addition to being a teacher. And when you look at these kinds of things, we ask ourselves, how how does this go so wrong? How does love go so dark and go so blind? How does that happen? Well, it wasn't love in the first place. Because love is what? Nice and gentle. Love seeks participation, not isolation. Love likes engagement, not disengagement, not not disengage, not alienation. Love likes to engage. Love is when you take your girl or your partner out and you introduce them to everyone else and you enjoy the camaraderie. 
of being with a group of people of like-minded spirits and like-minded ideas. Love does not seek to isolate. Love seeks to engage. And if someone tries to isolate you, something is very wrong with their concept of love and you need to get away to preserve your life. And I am saying to women today and to all of us, we need to be mindful of these things. And power and control in intimate partner relationships also exist in the the boardroom and in workspaces where you have a controlling boss who seeks to dominate your time space. Now that we're all working from home and you're away from home, you begin to realize that there are characteristics about your boss that you would have never have described as controlling. They're always calling you on Zoom. They're always texting you every hour. When you were in the workspace and in the workflow environment, you probably thought, well, it's par for the course. They're checking to make sure that I'm not slacking off. But now that you're at home, even your partner at home, even your husband has to say, he does call a bit. Control is a boss texting you at 10 o'clock at night, knowing at that time of night, you're most likely with your family or with your intimate partner. And they're texting you about something that can wait. Control is them calling you after 8 o'clock to find out about something that can wait until 8 o'clock the next morning. That is control. There's control in relationships. There's control. Siblings control one another. (laughs) Parents control children. Children control parents. But when it gets to the point where it is going to damage you and it is going to lead to loss of life or loss of limb, you need to get the heck out of Dodge. Quick, fast, and in a hurry. We also need to watch. When you meet someone, you need to shut up and let them do all the talking. Because they will tell you everything about them within the first two hours, and you will know whether you need to go on or not. Let them talk. Listen to them talk about their ideas on people. Anybody who admires Hitler is a problem. I don't know about you, but uh, that's a problem. If I had listened to myself when I first met my ex-husband, I would have realized that he 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 was an admirer of Adolf Hitler. He had a copy of Mein Kampf. I kid you not, people. I recommended that I read that of all the books to read in the world. I could you know. Listen to who they talk. He also hated prominent women. He hated women who were TV anchors. He hated women in leadership. He hated prominent women. What was that trying to tell me? He hates women. Now, he's not asexual or bisexual or homosexual. He just hates women who are thinkers. Because that means they would influence me to be away from him. Ladies, we see this all the time. They refer to women like, like the Hillary Clinton and, and Gretchen Whitmer and prominent women. They hate them and call them bitches. They call prominent women who are thinkers, even the ones in your community. She might be a lawyer. She might be a DA. She might be a judge. She might be a pastor. She might just run a business. If your boss is a female, chances if your spouse hates your boss, and he's never met her, and she's not an unkind person, something is wrong with him, not with her. That means he has a problem. And ladies, we we, we see this all the time, and we brush over it, and they try to control your friends, especially your BFF, your best friend who who is always there for you. They try to separate you from those relationships. And God forbid you have a close male friend whom you grew up with. That's the one they go after because they want to separate you from that. 
and they threaten him and threaten you with violence. They threaten him with violence. He just doesn't tell you. He just says, stay away from that guy. Do you see what I'm saying? Ladies, we need to, we are here. And unfortunately, we don't have a knight in shining armor who is going to ride to our emotional rescue on a white horse. Since that is not likely to happen for you nor I, then we have to do a better job of caring for ourselves. And I say this to all young women. Be very careful of the people whom you engage with. Don't let his suits fool you because there are thugs in suits. There are controlling men in suits. Don't let his suit fool you. Don't let his position at his job fool you that he has been a lawyer for 30 years. He's been sitting on the circuit court judge for how many years. Don't let that fool you into thinking that he's not controlling. In fact, the more money a man has is the more control he's probably going to exercise over your existence because he's trying to preserve his lifestyle, preserve his image, and he's going to want you to shop at certain places and you're going to hang out with certain people because he's protecting what his investments are. And you are one of them, whether you like it or not. He's not going to tell you in so many words, but that it is what it is. But that is not control, though. Control is when they put a tracker on your car to see where you go with. It is one thing for you and your partner at the end of the day to say, well, and, you know, you share stories about, you know, yeah, today so-and-so happened, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, okay, well, have, you know, you're sharing with him. And he has some opinions and ideas. And he says, yeah, you could try it this way or whatever. That is sharing. That is healthy relationship. But when he tells you, you do not go there and you do not do that and you do not, you do not. And if you go and you're like, huh? That's when you get out of there. And how do you leave? It's a question. A lot of people ask me, how do you leave? You have to plan with an abusive partner. It's the hardest thing you're probably ever going to do. But you have to plan. You have to have a safe space. My suggestion, get a separate debit card that he does know. Go get a post office box that does not come to your house. Get a separate debit card that he does not know. Start saving your money and put it away. If you are lucky enough to go to work or if... They give you money to go grocery shopping, take some money and go get a cash back on it and go put some money away. Keep cash with you. Keep your ID and so on in a, in a safe space so you can run. Give it to someone whom you trust. Have a friend whom he doesn't know about, whom you can run to. Have another phone like a, you know, like a Metro PCS phone or something that he doesn't know about. Because one of the first things he's going to do is give you a phone that he can track you on. So if you drive away, he's going to find out. And if you, in our cars today, they can, you know, you have shared systems, so he can track you by the use of your car. Okay, well, disable that. Call on start. The minute you decide to run away, you get in that vehicle. The first thing you do is call them and let them disable the tracking and tell them why. I'm just saying. And file a restraining order immediately. Ladies, do not be afraid. I know you live in communities and you don't want the neighbors to know what is happening. Call the police. He hits you. He threatens you. You've got to have a paper trail. If you don't have a paper trail, how will they know it's true? It's going to be very difficult for you to prove violence in the courtroom so you can, he can, you can get him to stay away from you. So have a paper trail. Call the police. Report it. Call the police. Drive down to the police station if you have to after work and call it. Get rid of the shame or the perception 
that this is shameful. You don't want anyone to know that this is happening in your home. Guess what? It is happening and it is dangerous. To live with someone and to be the threat of losing your life or be hurt or harmed is dangerous. If this young woman could talk, if all the women who have been murdered, who have been killed by intimate partners could talk, the one thing they would tell you is get out and be safe. Because it does happen. 92, America is a first world country. We're the only first world country in the world, the only industrialized nation where 92% of women murdered in America are murdered by someone they know. That is shocking. 92% of women murdered in America are murdered by someone they know. Whether it's an ex-boyfriend, a boyfriend, some guy who is a neighbor, believe it or not, right? A, a former partner, a brother, a cousin, a father, a stepfather. 92% of women murdered in America are murdered by someone they know. That is shocking. And so, ladies, as we move forward, ladies and gentlemen, and you guys, this is important information for you too. Because when your sisters, your nieces, your daughters, and your ex-girlfriends meet someone new, be their nice. Ask questions. Who is this guy? What's he like? The biggest question you can ask is, what's he like? Go check the dude out for yourself. What's he like? And be there for her. The three most powerful words that you can say that I am here. If someone comes to you and discloses that they are living in an intimate partner situation, they probably can't communicate with you because their partners are watching them. Just say, I am here. If they ever call you and say they need help, help them. If they go back to him, fine. The average woman takes 14 times before she finally leaves. Understand that. It's not easy to extricate because they threaten you with violence if you leave. Sometimes she goes back, not because she's in love with him, not because she believes in him, but because she doesn't have a choice. He threatens to kill her family. He threatens to kill you. He threatens to kill the people at work. He threatens to go to work. He threatens to kill her parents. He threatens to kill the children. He threatens he's going to blow himself up. So she just, for the love of God, I'll just go back to him and just to keep all that down. So it's not about, she's trying to do the best she can with the, the monster that she's living with. My name is Harriet Kimmick. My book, Through the Fire, is available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Get your copy. Read my story. Here, get into the book. Get into what I must have felt like. And when you see me next, you understand why I'm passionate about this. And you understand why some women go through this. Please, dear God, get a copy of this book. We're sending this to domestic violence shelters around the country so women can get it and live with hope as they try to get to the next level. They're moving out. They often stop at a shelter in, you know, in preparation for launching their lives off. Help us to help others. I thank you so much for your time this morning. Her name is Shauna Donahue. She has a name. I am very sorry to everyone who has ever, every woman who has ever gone through this. I feel your pain. I'm with you. I've been there myself. And I thank you so much for your participation this morning. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you so much. My name is Harriet Kimmick. Go to my website, harrietkimmick.com, as well as listen to my podcast on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever your favorite podcast platform is. Thank you so much, everybody. Be blessed. Hey. <laughs> Thanks so much. Be blessed. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.